0: It's a litany that no one can escape. Point by point, moment by moment, the Apostle Paul lays out a scathing indictment towards humanity. Join us, we'll focus on that next on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth as we continue our survey of Romans chapter 3. It's our series called Guilty as Charged. The Apostle Paul seeking to leave no stone unturned lays out for us in marvelous fashion the fact that we are all guilty and here's why. And focusing today on verses 15 through 18 of chapter 3 we're looking at the violent acts from violent men. Join us. Here's Pastor Steve with today's program. Notice he says there,
1: their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to what? To deceive. That verb is in the imperfect in the Greek tense. And what that means basically is that it's a continuous action. It never stops. That's all they know how to do. It's repetitive deceit. Have you ever talked to your young person about doing something wrong? And the first time it's kind of like, look, you know, you shouldn't do this, and okay, I'm sorry, all right, don't do it again, okay, fine. The next day it happens again. Maybe the next hour it happens again. There comes a point in time where you realize, you know what, this is becoming a habit. They're, they're deceiving. Their deception is becoming part of the way of their life, and we need to stop it. So you have to do something severe sometimes to help them understand that this is not acceptable behavior. And see, for the natural man, lying and other forms of deceit are just habitual. It's a normal part of life. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 9, it describes it as flattery. And flattery appeals to what? Our human nature, it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our pride. He says they use their tongues to deceive A flatterer therefore uses and abuses others. In Psalm 36, 1 to 3, David describes it this way. A man's sinfulness, it, it can lead to, to self-deceit. It can lead to self-flattery. He says, transgression, Psalm 36, 1 to 3, transgression speaks to the ungodly within his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for it flatters him in his own eyes concerning the discovery of his iniquity and the hatred of it. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. He's telling the Jews, you know what? Yeah, you say the right thing. You teach the law, but what does it bring? It brings destruction. See, just because you hear something coming out of somebody's mouth that may seem it's got some truth in it, you better be careful. Most false teachers have just that. They have a little bit of truth. He goes on, and he not only talks about it being an open grave. That's one, and he kind of says, I'm going to come at this from a different angle. He says, the venom of this snake is under their lips. This, this kind of snake was a poisonous snake. Usually as soon as it bit you, you died within a short period of time. One commentator says the fangs of such a deadly snake ordinarily lie folded back in the upper jaw. But when the snake throws his head to strike, these hollow fangs drop down. And when the snake bites, the fang presses a, a sack of deadly poison hidden under the lips, ejecting vem, venom into the victim. And it brought forth death. See, he's saying the same thing. He's talking about a grave. He's talking about dying from a snake bite. He says, Their mouth is full of what? Curses. What's it mean there? Cursing someone is when you wish evil upon them. You get so angry, you wish evil upon somebody. You pronounce it on them, you wish it on them, you afflict it on them, you inflict it on them personally. Maybe someone has harmed you, disrespected you, whatever, and somehow you're going to get revenge and you're going to inflict evil back on them. That's what this is. See, this is what comes out of people's hearts who are wicked, beloved. This is what comes out of people's hearts who are depraved, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this came out of our hearts at one time before our salvation. And you notice that in your Bible there's a reference here and he's, he's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the Psalms. He's saying, hey, this isn't coming from me. This is coming from God. This is God's word. And it's almost as if he says, all right, now I, I'm done with the Psalms. I I'm I'm want the prophets to step up here. And so he begins talking about cursing and bitterness. And that's exactly what he does. See, these are, are wicked words from wicked men. They're not just good sinners. They're not just bad sinners. They're wicked people. When we think of cursing and bitterness, we we may just think of the harsh speech, somebody who curses you out. But it really means more than that. All of this is kind of boiled down in a nice little couple points by Martin Luther. I think I put that in your outline there. When he was studying this, he came up with this kind of three, three little things here. He said, first of all, these kind of people, they devour the dead. They devour those who are spiritually dead already. Here's what he writes. He says, their teaching swallows up the dead who have gone from faith to unbelief and swallows them up in such a way that there is no hope of returning from the death of this unbelief unless they can be recalled by the most wonderful power of God before they descend to hell as the Lord showed in the case of Lazarus who has been dead for four days. He says, moreover, that the grave is open because they devour and seduce many people. And he quotes Psalm 14, 4. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread? He continues, he says, that is just as there is is squeamishness about eating bread even though it is eaten more frequently than other foods, so also they do not cease to devour their dead and their disciples are never satisfied. He concludes, he says, hearsay or faithless teaching is nothing else than a kind of disease or plague which infects and kills many people just as is the case with a physical plague. And you don't have to look very far to realize that this is going on, not just outside the church, but inside the church. And the second point there is, he he says they teach deceitfully. And he relates that to verse 13, their tongues practice deceit. It's not just lying. It has the idea that they're actually teaching lies. Isaiah 30.10 says, Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy not to us what is right. See, that's what people want to hear. The world generally does, does not speak warnings about these kind of things except as threats to other people. And so we need to stop and we need to be reminded, hey, you know what, we're, we're kind of operating in a mind zone here. We have to be careful where we step. And the third thing he pointed out is they kill those who have been taught such things. He says, this same flattering and pleasing doctrine not only does not make alive those who believe it, it actually kills them. And it kills them in such a way that they are beyond recovery. Paul's already said that in Romans 2, verses 8 and 9. But for those who are self seeking and those who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger, trouble and distress. And so he points that out for us very clearly that this this sinful mouth is not just, you know, somebody who cusses. It's a problem deeper down. And then he moves on here to a sinful path in verse 15 to 18. He begins to talk about what their feet are doing. Their human conduct is depraved. These are violent acts from violent men. We're kind of taking these in reverse because it says there in verse 17, the way of peace, right, they do not know. The way of peace, they do not know. And I think that when you understand the whole concept here, you'll see why I'm doing this in reverse. Uh, the, The apostle here isn't speaking of the lack of inner peace. That's not what he's talking about. That's kind of characteristic of somebody who doesn't know Christ. But really, he's, he's talking of a man's essential inclination away from peace. That man in his fallen nature doesn't run to peace. They run from it. They know no personal peace. Isaiah 57.20 says, The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest. Those waves cast up mire and mud. But see, that affects other people. One commentator, commentator Haldane, says this, Such is a just description of man's ferocity, which fills the world with animosities, quarrels, hatreds, in the private connection of families and neighborhoods, and with revolution and wars and murders among the nations. And then he says this, The most savage animals do not destroy so many of their own species to appease their hungry, hunger, as man destroys of his fellows to satiate his ambition, revenge. I mean, it's just amazing when you stop and think about that. And that's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. It says, remember that you were once, what, separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Verse 12 there, having no hope, And without God in the world. And then in verse 13 it says this. Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus. You who are once far off. Have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For he himself. Listen. Is our peace. Who has made us both one. Who has broken down his flesh. By dividing the wall of hostility. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility, and he came, verse 17, and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. People that don't know Christ don't know peace. They don't know peace with God. They don't know peace with one another. And they don't even have peace within themselves, to be honest. The way of peace they do not know. It says, secondly, in their paths are ruin and misery. In their paths are ruin and misery. Again, this is something that wicked people experience themselves. Their way is misery and ruin. That word ruin is a compound word and it it talks about breaking into pieces and completely shattering, causing total devastation. The term misery denotes the resulting harm that is always in the wake of man's acts of destruction against his fellow men. His destructiveness inevitably leaves a trail of pain and despair. What this means, it's not just in the active, or it's not just in the passive sense, but it's in the active sense as well. Human beings naturally don't just labor to build up each other. No, they seek to destroy one another. Not a pretty picture. The third thing there, he says, their feet are swift to shed blood. This is kind of the last of these deceitful actions. It says their end is death. Not just in a physical, by the way, but also in a spiritual sense. Spiritual death, which is the death of the soul and the spirit in hell. Death itself means separation. When you die physically, your body is separated from your soul. When you die spiritually, your soul is separated spiritually from God forever. Look at Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. I thought this was just a, uh, a very interesting note. I heard on, it's actually a uh, Phil from <laughs> the duck people, duck dynasty or whatever. He said this on um, a program on Fox. And they were asking him about, why are these people so much into death? Why are they so quick to run to to death and kill people? And he read out of Proverbs chapter 8, the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he says in verse 32, and now, O sons, listen to me, blessed are those who keep my ways, hear instruction and be wise, do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And then he highlighted this last part. He says, all who hate me, this is God speaking, all who hate me love what? Love death. You wonder why they're lopping people's heads off and slaughtering thousands of people over there in Iraq? Because they hate God. They hate the true God. They're following a false God, a false religion. And so their feet are swift to shed blood. And lastly, they have no fear of God. Verse 18, that's what he says. There's no fear of God. Psalm thirty-six, one, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now... When we think of being afraid of something or fearful, we're thinking of terror, you know, we're scared. That's not this kind of fear. It's talking about a reverential awe. It's talking about of a sense of respect before the Lord. And these people don't have it. It has to do with worshiping him. It has to do with obeying him. It has to do with departing from evil. Because you fear God. You, you revere God in God's way. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, when Romans 3.18 declares that the human race has not done this, it's saying what Paul has been saying all along. They don't have any fear of God. When, in fact, in verse 22 of Romans 1, it says, No, they exchanged the glory of God for corruptible things. That's not respectful. We need to be reminded, beloved, of the holiness of God. The God which we serve. Because there's no fear of God before these people's eyes. Verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. He's saying that more to the Jews probably than to the Gentiles because they're probably going, wait a minute, that doesn't include us because we're part of this little gang that, you know, no, no, no. Everybody's under the law. And if you're under the law, you can't respond. You can't say, no, 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 I think it's this way. No, you can't. Because God has spoken. And the world is held accountable to God. There's no excuse. There's no way out of this. Verse 20, for by... The works of the law, even if there was a way out, there's no way you could work your way out of it because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So even if you're better than your neighbor, that doesn't make any difference. You're not going to be justified by being better. You have to be what? Perfect. As the Father's perfect. And none of us are perfect. We'll never be perfect. And if you want to just sit around and study the law and see how much of the law you can keep, well, what's that going to do? That's just going to bring you more knowledge of your own sin. Think about it in your own Christian walk. When you first came to Christ, maybe there were some things in your life that now you look back going, man, I I didn't even know that I was doing something wrong. (laughs) I've known people that have come to Christ over the years and boy, they're a new person in Christ and they start coming to church and all of a sudden, you know, you notice something. It's like, well, why are you doing this? Well, I've always done that. Well, you know, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. Maybe it's whatever. Dishonoring their body somehow. Maybe it's sexual promiscuity. Whatever it might be. And you point it out to them. And if they're truly a believer, they'll say, wow, I need to stop that. Yeah, you do. And they they conform their behavior to what? To what their knowledge has come to understand as sin. And they want to be obedient to the God that saved them. Psalm 128 128, verse 1 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways. Isaiah 51 verse 12 and 13 says, You fear mortal men, the sons of men, who are but grass. But you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you live in constant terror every day because of the wrath of the oppressor. I mean, I think sometimes we're more fearful of our neighbor than we are of the Lord. What does this say to us? What do we conclude to all this? I mean, we have to kind of come to a point where we're almost undone by what we've been studying. And just in summary, I just want to share with you what we've seen here. Both Jew and Gentile have sinned against God, and even threw in the believer there, in Romans. and both Jew, Gentile and not the Christian. Jew and Gentile stand accused before God. If you're a Christian, you know what? There's good news. If you've put your faith and trust in God, God does not accuse you any longer because your sins are forgiven. But we need to understand all human beings without exception are under sin. Sin negatively affects our relationships with God and with other people. You wonder why you can't get get along with people around you? It's not you. It's not the other person. It's sin. You're both sinful people. I mean, think about it. You, you, you get married and you're thinking, well, this is going to be sweet bliss, right? And you enter week three or month three or whenever it comes and you're going, whoa, this isn't what I signed up for. Well, what's the problem? Well, it's that. No, it's not the other person. It's both of you. You're both sinners and you both want your own way. And when you don't get it, what happens? Conflict. That's what happens. That happens in every relationship. Sin negatively affects our relationship. It also has destructive results. Don't ever think, beloved, for one second you're going to get away with something. That somehow you're just, you know, this isn't harming anybody. I'm doing this in the quietness of... No. If it's sin and you know it to be sin, it has destructive results. Trust me. All people need to hear the good news that God has provided a Savior from this ailment that we have, this curse of sin. We're the only people as believers who know and can share the truth which can free those people from the bondage of sin. I mean, if I asked you to come into my office after church, I showed you a large stack of money on my desk. And I said, you know what? This is a gift to you and your family. Just go and enjoy it. After you picked yourself up off the floor, <laughs> good sum of money. Say that's one hundred thousand dollars. You would probably, in your mind, start to think, "What am I going to do with this? This is what a wonderful gift. One hundred thousand dollars." You start making plans. So I'd like to pay the house off. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. I'd like to give some to the Lord. Do bless this family. Bless this, whatever. But your mind would be thinking, you would be planning. And you know what? You'd probably be excited about it. This would be something that you would enjoy laying out the spreadsheet with, right? You got a hundred grand to start with, man. How am I going to bless people with this? How am I going to use this for the glory of God? See, I want you to remember that you and I have the extreme privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, with people who are standing before God guilty in their sin, and this is a privilege that's infinitely more valuable and should be infinitely more exciting and rewarding
0: than receiving a lump sum of money and figuring out how to spend it. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. And directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650 650- That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. GracefulTruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.